We open our Bibles together to our text today in Hebrews chapter 2, as we think about the good gift of God in deliverance. In recent days, drama on the high seas has been captured on videotape as nearly 600 passengers and crew of the Greek cruise ship Oceana were rescued before the vessel went down. As much as I've been able to read in the news, apparently there was an explosion in the boiler room which ruptured the hull, leaving the vessel without power and taking on water in waves that were driven by winds up to 80 miles an hour. In a matter of a few hours, that majestic vessel, which before had been a party, which had been full of life, sank beneath the waves. But before it did, a miraculous thing happened, as some described it. As boats came that were near and far, and helicopters came from offshore in South Africa to pluck one or two or three at a time from this vessel that was listing badly and sinking into the waves. And before it went down, they were all rescued. The drama captured the world's attention as we focused on it. Most of us cannot but sense the elation of those who were rescued because we seem to share in their danger with them as we were aware of it through the media. Our interest is naturally captivated by suspenseful stories of rescue like that. One of the programs that is very popular right now on television is Rescue 911. It has spawned a number of clones on other networks. We watch over the shoulders of paramedics and firemen, policemen, and others as people are rescued from life-threatening situations. If you're like I am, and you occasionally have the opportunity to pick up Reader's Digest, and you look down the contents on that front cover, you probably look for drama in real life. You want to turn to see what that story is about someone who experienced danger and was rescued. With the entrance of CNN on cable television, we can be literally anywhere in the world something like that is taking place, and we can watch it from near its beginning until its culmination when deliverance is at hand. Right now, our society seems to be hooked on stories where danger threatens and courageous people intervene. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that because we certainly need our heroes these days. We weep when heroes fail, and we cheer when they applaud. We love to see people delivered and rescued. Well, I want to submit to you this morning that the greatest of all dramas, a cosmic drama, is unfolding. It is the drama of God intervening to spiritually deliver endangered people who call upon him. People who are endangered by their own sin and the consequent condemnation of God. 
One of God's good gifts to those who call upon Jesus Christ in faith is deliverance. The scriptures tell us of several ways in which God delivers those who trust in him. The text that we're looking at right now in Hebrews chapter 2 tells us one of those ways in which God delivers those who believe. And we are told that God delivers from the fear of death. Through death, he rendered powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and delivered those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. Fear is enslaving, isn't it? It is a controlling emotion. To some extent, all of us know its presence, at least at some times in our lives. Fear is a stranger to no one, and when fear comes, it comes to enslave and capture our minds and our emotions. The ultimate fear is the fear of death. Job referred to it as the king of terrors. The fear of death is a bondage that robs one of the joy of life. The fear of death is very, very common among those who know not God. Religious people without a living faith in Jesus Christ have a deep-seated fear of death. This is clear, for example, in the inscriptions found on tombs from the first century. And you see it still today, not necessarily inscribed upon tombs, but upon the philosophies of people. For today there are some who say that there really is no death, that we merely pass out of this existence into another form. We are reincarnated as something else, they say, but there really is no death. Or there are others that trivialize death and feel it's of such little consequence that we ought to help others commit suicide if they feel like that's the thing they want to do. I submit to you that behind all of these ideas there is a deep-seated fear of death in the heart of every person who knows not God. And Satan employs that fear as a chain, really, to hold sinners in slavery to do his will. In the beginning, Satan lied to Eve when he said, You shall not surely die if you disobey God. She believed the lie. She disobeyed God, and death entered human experience. Spiritual death at that instant, physical death later when Eve and Adam died and all of us were their descendants when we die. And now that death is here, Satan employs it as a threat. Initially he denied death, just like some people today. But now he employs it as a weapon, as a tool to enslave humanity. The gospel of Jesus Christ liberates and frees people from this inhibiting fear. The Bible tells us in this text that the Son of God became human. 
became flesh and blood in order that he might rescue sinners of flesh and blood. It is interesting to notice the writer's choice of words. He says, since then the children share in flesh and blood, he himself also partook of the same. Do you notice the words share and partook? They're quite different in their inference. <coughs> the difference is captured in a comment by John MacArthur in his commentary when he says, share is from the Greek koinonia, meaning to have fellowship, communion, or partnership. It involves having something in common with others. All human beings have flesh and blood. In this we are all alike. It is our common nature. But partook is a very different word, meteko, which has to do with taking hold of something that is not naturally one's own kind. We by nature are flesh and blood, Christ was not. Yet he willingly partook, or he willingly took hold of something which he did not naturally belong, belong to him. He added to himself our nature in order that he might die in our place and that we might take hold of the divine nature that, he, that did not belong to us. The point is that the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, partook of our flesh and blood, something that was not naturally his, though he created it. And he became human through the incarnation so that through his death on behalf of humanity, and his resurrection from the dead, he might be able to provide deliverance to those who would believe in him. By his death, he was thus able to give us life. And as part of that work, the writer of Scripture tells us that he also rendered powerless the devil. So as to rob the devil of his ability to employ the fear of death against the people of God. For the people of God, Jesus Christ has annulled the power of Satan to use the fear of death. He has rendered that threat impotent by his saving work, his death and his resurrection. Most of us would be quite frightened to meet a lion face to face. But if you go down to the zoo, you can be as close to a lion as a few feet and not have to be afraid. Why is that? Has something about the lion changed? Not really. Still the same beast. He may be fed beefsteak, which is much better, I suppose, than human flesh, and he's satisfied, but he's still a a beast, and given the opportunity, would attack you. But you need not be afraid of the lion. Why? He has been rendered impotent. He has been rendered without power of threat against you by bars of a cage that are put up there. And so the beast is still the same beast, but you're able to approach the beast and not be afraid of it. You can look at it. You can talk to it. You need not be afraid because it has been neutralized in its ability to frighten you. 
by those bars. That perhaps is something of an illustration of what has happened between us and Satan, our former master. Before he was able to well utilize the fear of death to keep us in bondage to his evil desires and ways. But by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he has been caged. And now we no longer need to be fearful of death or of Satan because of the victory of Jesus Christ over him. Someone has pointed out that when your weapon is stronger than your enemies, you render him powerless. We only need to look back a few months to the battle called Desert Storm to understand the truth of that. Why were we able to defeat Iraq in a hundred hours? Because our weapons were so vastly superior to theirs. <clears throat> the weapons that you and I have been given in Jesus Christ are vastly superior to those of Satan, and because of that we have, he has been rendered powerless. If this ultimate fear has now been dismissed, then why should we allow any lesser fear to control our lives? You and I have been given victory over fear. God has delivered us from the king of terrors, the ultimate fear. And if from that fear, why not from all fears? The good gift of God is the gift of deliverance. He has delivered us from the fear of death. That does not mean that we are therefore anxious to die. It doesn't mean that we don't go to the doctor to try to stay alive. It doesn't mean that we're eager to go through the experience of dying. But it does mean that if we belong to Jesus Christ, the fear of death and its results can no longer be used to intimidate us. We have been delivered from the fear of death. So much so that strangely, mysteriously, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians that life and death belong to the Christian, along with all things. I'm not exactly sure what he means by that. But there is some sense in which even death itself now belongs to us. Perhaps it is in the sense that death has been now relegated to a doorkeeper. We are not eager to meet death, but when we do, all death will be able to do is to open the gate to let us through into the presence of our glorious Lord. We have been delivered from the fear of death. Now if you will turn with me in the scriptures to another passage, we'll see another way in which God has delivered us as his people. It's Colossians 1 in verse 13. <coughs> Colossians 1, 13. Not only does God deliver us from the fear of death, but God delivers us from the domain of darkness. For he delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us 
to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. There are many political kingdoms in our world, but there are only two spiritual kingdoms. And every person is a citizen of one or the other by birth and relationship. Natural birth brings us into the family of humanity. We are related to all people who've ever lived through Adam and Eve, our grandparents. Our birth naturally brings us into this family of man, and we are identified with Adam, who by his sin lost his kingship and delivered his domain over to Satan. It is that domain that is called here the domain of darkness. Why darkness? Well, it refers to moral and spiritual darkness, rebellion against God, which was fomented by Satan and caught by humanity. The motivation in the realm of darkness is hatred of God, and there is an active energy that works against God and his purposes. This domain of darkness is populated not only by fallen humanity, but by demons, by spiritual beings that are called demons. You and I, by the grace of God, have been delivered from the domain of darkness. We still live in the world, but we are not citizens any longer of the domain of darkness. That has never been dramatized to most of us like it has been to one young lady who comes to our church, a young mother. Before she became a Christian, she was involved in drugs, and in some occultic things. A few years ago, she was deeply depressed. And someone gave her a Bible to read. On one particular evening, she sat down in her room alone with her Bible and began to read searching for God. And the more she read, the darker the room became. The light wasn't turned down, but the room began to grow dark. And she began to hear voices speaking to her, associated with her past uh, occultic practices. And they told her, If you believe in God, we will kill you. And there were other threats made toward her. They began to bark and to yip like wild animals at her. This was all very real. I do not attribute it to any kind of mental illness. We are talking about spiritual powers that are very real. The room got almost dark, and her spirit was oppressed when suddenly God gave her grace to simply say in a moment of 
desperate cry, Oh God, help me! And her testimony to me, I heard this firsthand, she told me this. Her testimony to me was that immediately when she prayed and cried out to God, the whole room burst with an explosion of light. And immediately the voices and the barking stopped. And tremendous peace filled her soul. Now, I don't know about you, when I was saved, it didn't quite happen like that. Most of us have never seen or felt or heard it dramatized in that way, but I want you to know something. If you're a Christian here today, your deliverance was just as real as that young woman's. For you were a part of the domain of darkness, and God delivered you and transferred your citizenship into another kingdom. You see, by the supernatural birth, we are brought into the family of God. We are identified with Jesus Christ, the last Adam, who by his obedience gained the right to rule over Adam's lost kingdom. And right now, our Lord is in the process of claiming what is his. He is establishing his kingdom and one day will consummate it in the world. This is the kingdom that is called here by Paul, the kingdom of his beloved son. It is a kingdom characterized by light, according to verse 12, not darkness. It is moral and spiritual love of God and love of good. And it seeks the advance of God's purpose. This kingdom is populated by redeemed humanity but also by spiritual beings that are called angels. This kingdom is referred to in Hebrews 12 as a kingdom which cannot be shaken. It is called in James 2 the kingdom which God promised. In 2 Peter 1.11 it's called the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And you and I in Jesus Christ have been delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred, translated, given new identity with the kingdom of God's beloved Son. We've been delivered. And now we are looking to a day when the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdom of God's Christ. And he will reign forever and forever. One of the good gifts of God is deliverance from the fear of death. Deliverance from the domain of darkness. Let me briefly just touch upon another way in which we are delivered. 1 Thessalonians 1 and verse 10. We see here that God delivers us from the wrath that is to come. We have turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, that is, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. God's wrath is his just response towards sin. It is God's only response towards sin. It is a deep-seated anger 
with sin. It is a wrath that is expressed, yes, in hell. It is a wrath that is expressed also in this world. And it is, I think, in this context, verse 10, a wrath that is eschatological, that is, it is future. He mentions wrath to come. And I believe he's talking about that time when God will pour out his wrath in this world, in what we sometimes call the tribulation period. We are told here that God delivers us from the wrath that is to come. Wrath that God will pour out upon a Christ-rejecting world. It is a wrath that is imminent, that may come at any moment in its fulfillment. It is a wrath that is surely coming. There is no question about it. Our government, as you may have read a few weeks ago, is expending several hundred thousand dollars on an astronomical search for asteroids. The concern is that there may be lurking out there in space somewhere an asteroid large enough to do severe damage were it to strike the Earth. And so our government is concerned that we be able to locate such an asteroid well in advance of any potential collision lest there be great loss of life in the world. Now, if they find one that's coming, I'm not exactly sure what they're planning to do about it. But there is this search on for that possibility. I want you to know that the Bible says that we're already on a collision course with the wrath of God. I cannot tell you the moment that it's going to come, but coming it is. And it will consume sinners. Aren't you glad today that in Jesus Christ, you having trusted him have been delivered from the wrath to come? That will not be your experience. God has appointed us rather to salvation, he says in chapter 5 of this same book. But I want to rush ahead just to one more way in which we are delivered. It is found in Galatians 1.4, and it's such an important one. I don't want to leave it out before closing. Galatians 1.4. The good gift of God is deliverance, and it tells us here that God delivers us from the evil now present. Who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us out of this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father. The age in which we live is evil. Time magazine gave an essay to the subject of evil a few weeks ago, in which the writer did a fair job evaluating man's thinking uh, about evil. But he could come to no conclusions. He had no authority to come to conclusions. The Bible tells us that evil is very real. It is a force. It is also personified. There is a Satan. There are evil beings in the spirit realm. There is evil in the heart of man by his own sin. And all of this is producing evil in our world. 
I am almost to the point of not listening to the news anymore. For not only am I tired of what I hear, I am tired of the explicitness with which it is reported on the news. We live in an evil age. God delivers us from the evil now present. We must live in this world. But Jesus Christ delivered up himself on behalf of our sins so that he might rescue us. I like the words of James Montgomery Boyce. He says, The deliverance is conceived of here not as a deliverance out of the present evil world, though that will also be true eventually, but as a deliverance from the power of evil and the values of the present world system through the power of the risen Christ within the Christian. The deliverance here, you see, is not just the deliverance eventually from the age, but its deliverance from its values even right now. Why has Christ died for our sins? It is that he might redeem to himself a people living differently than the people caught up in the evil now present. The lifestyle that you and I live ought to be a distinctive lifestyle. The things that we choose to watch, the things that we choose to participate in, the values that motivate our lives, those ought to be in contradistinction to the world around us. That's why Christ has died for us. I wonder sometimes if we don't play with evil because we don't realize the real threat that it is. God is the deliverer. And he will deliver any who calls upon him. But deliverance is predicated upon our being willing to be rescued. Do you remember when Mount St. Helens was nearing its explosion back in 1980, wasn't it? 81. They were warning people around the base of the mountain to get out, and there was a man, an old codger by the name of Harry. You remember Harry? He had lived in that mountain all of his life, and he wasn't about to leave it. He didn't perceive the threat as real, and he didn't need deliverance. It was but hours after they left him for the last time, pleading with him to leave, that the mountain exploded, burying Harry and everything that he owned beneath untold tons of ash. He wasn't willing to be delivered. He could have been. And so it is with sinners who play with God, who don't take the threat of evil, the certainty of wrath, seriously. They've lived in this world a long time. They've gotten by so far without God, and they don't understand how close judgment is. The good gift of God is deliverance, and God generously gives it, but only to those who come to him for it. If you've never done that, I hope you will today. You will place your faith in Jesus Christ as the only possible rescue, 
that you will ever have from evil and from judgment. Let's pray. Sing a chorus with me. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Thank you, Lord, for giving to me thy great salvation so rich and Christian friend, I hope that's a chorus that means a lot to you, for God has done so much that he might deliver us. Let us not toy with the world and play with it. Let us not participate in its evil. Let's let Jesus Christ have his way in our lives. Let him deliver us in every respect from the evil now present even as we thank God that he has delivered us from the judgment that is coming. My friend, here without Christ today, if you cannot sing that chorus, would you in your heart trust Jesus right now, inviting him in to be your Savior, your Deliverer? I hope you would. Let's stand together. Father, we give thanks to you today that you are the Deliverer. We thank you that those who call upon the Lord will be saved, will be rescued from the danger that is present in the evil and the darkness all around us. And as we go from here, may our hearts be attuned to the danger of friends and loved ones who are outside of Christ and have no deliverance yet. God, give us courage and give us words. Give us winsomeness in our witness to them that they also may come to know the Lord Jesus. May we be the kind of a church, Father, where deliverance is offered and people in the community know that they can find the Savior here in this loving fellowship. We pray this in the name of our Deliverer, our Rock, Jesus Christ. Amen.